simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we're talking to you about minimalist architecture. We're going to answer some of your surprise questions as well. I'm going to read some stuff to you. But first, Ryan, a congratulations is in order. Oh, yeah? Our good friend, Danny Unknown. He just got engaged to Amy. Let's oh, give him a round right. of applause. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I questions Amy, I question Amy's judgment a little bit, but <laughs> that's just you know me projecting my own insecurities. <laughs> Congratulations, Danny! Heck unknown. Yeah, man. Congrats, dude. That's awesome. Danny, uh, he takes care of our TikToks, the photos you see on all the thumbnails, mm -hmm. and a bunch of other things that we work on together as well. Super talented filmmaker. Uh, you can follow him. You can give him your congratulations on Instagram at Danny Unknown. Actually, there's one letter missing from that. So we'll just put a link to his Instagram handle in the show notes. Is there one letter missing? What a Gen, what a Gen Z thing to do. Yeah, Taking he, random letters out. I am jealous. He's guys. a total Zoomer. He can't buy the vowel. <laughs> you know, we have an article here that I want to read about minimalist architecture. At the end of this, I'm hoping we have some time. We'll talk to Jordan about his recent move as well, as long as we have time. But let's start with Jessica and Holly's questions. And I'll open up with this more about less article. Cool. Well, let's start with Jessica. How do we define minimalist architecture? Is it about the amount and kinds of material used, or is it more about intentional aesthetics? And then what does Holly have to say for us? How does minimalist architecture influence more intentional living? Mm. So two wonderful questions, two important questions as well, because when people hear about minimalism these days, mm -hmm. they think about minimalism as a lifestyle, understandably, right? Yeah. But then there's also minimalist art, like... Um, from the 60s, there's minimalist literature from the 80s, and mm -hmm. we could do separate episodes about those. It, however, minimalist architecture is, is sort of a piece of the minimalist art movement, but it shares a lot in common mm. with minimalist living. Yeah. So I have an article here, Ryan. I want to read it to you, and we'll use this as our more about, about less it. segment. We'll break it down. Uh, we'll stop at the end of certain paragraphs and we'll talk about some of these things. This is from an architecture firm called Perkins Architecture. We're going to put a link to this in the show notes so you can follow along. It is called What is Minimalist Architecture? Architectural icons like Walter Gropius, Philip Johnson, and Le Corbusier tirelessly challenge the way the world was designed in the 20th century. But Ludwig Mies van der Rohe, a German-American pioneer of modern and minimalist architecture, said it best. Less is more. Mm. Our last film, Less Is Now, was inspired by that line yeah. from Mies. In fact, Mies is one of he's my favorite architect. Mm. I've got this great book I brought from home. Are these your coffee table books? They are. Nice. Sometimes I even put them on my coffee table. <laughs> but this is... This is a, you, you'll know him. In fact, what we're going to do throughout this episode, Ryan, we'll put some picture in picture here, some, some cool. pictures of some of the things that are in this article. I was really loving like digging into this, man. Although I feel like I got to preface this whole maximal episode with, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I feel like um, I've read some articles and, and, and looks at some philosophies around like, let's say, um, brain surgery. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so now we're, re we're recording a podcast about it. I mean, yeah. maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, minimalist architecture, I'm totally not familiar with it. I only know kind of the research I've done. Um, so I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not an expert on it. That's all. I I'm a giant fan of minimalist architecture. And so I'll, I'll be your Thank driver's you. ed 
driver here. I'll yeah. be in, here in the passenger seat, making sure you don't slam on the brakes or <laughs> or drive through an intersection for us. Thank you very much. But uh, Mies van der Rohe, Ludwig Mies van der Rohe, German American architect. Uh, this book is a really good primer on well what he what his design was. But I'm going to talk a little bit here about about his design as mm-hmm. well. Then we're going to dive into some other aspects of minimalist architecture. He talked about less is more. He coined that term. Mies, as he was known, strive for simplicity and clarity in his post-World War I architectural designs. Mm. Buildings, furniture, and teachings became his tools as he and others stripped away the ornament of architecture. Mm. All of it. Going, for, uh, going as far as declaring ornament is a crime. <laughs> God, that resonates with <laughs> it me. It really does. Yeah. I mean, you know me. We're in this black abyss right now. There is mm-hmm. no ornamentation whatsoever in the space. Yeah. Because it would be a crime. <laughs> you know what's interesting? So it was post-World War One. That's right. Uh, makes me think about, we went to uh, the Stall House. We did a tour of, of one of, is it the Stall House or one of the Stall Houses? It's the, the Stall House. It's yeah. called the Stall House. Mm-hmm. So essentially, there was- Jordan's arc- going to put a picture of the Stall House right here above me or above you somewhere. Yeah, He'll put it on the screen. Yeah, it's a beautiful home. If you go to my Instagram, actually, at Ryan Nicodemus, uh, there's some there's some pictures I did like a little, uh, I posted like a, you know, six or seven pictures. You know how you can swipe and see different pictures. Yeah. What are the kids calling that these days? Carousel. Uh, yes, a carousel of pictures. Um, so anyway, that was made specifically, that house and, and the other um, experiments that they did uh, with with blueprints, it was made specifically for... Uh, uh, like war veterans, I guess, mm-hmm. like basically making a house that was affordable, that was something easy to put together. Yes. But it just blows my mind that like some of my favorite architecture was uh, back in the, yeah, early 1900s. Yeah, well, mid, mid-century, right? Yeah. So that's a mid-century house, a little bit different from minimalist architecture, although there's a ton of overlap as we're going to be discussing today. In mm, fact, okay. I brought my other book, the Ames book. I don't know if you've been, have you been to the number eight house out in the Pacific Palisades? No, I haven't. This uh, this house, actually, I've been in this house. You can do tours of it. Wow. And there are very few people that actually go there. You do tours of the Ames house. Mm. And so uh, Ames, uh, Charles and Ray Ames, husband and wife couple, made the, the amazing furniture mm. and also amazing spaces. I certainly wouldn't call them minimalists. They, unfortunately, their house is sort of preserved in the way it was in the final days when it was just Ray around. Charles was gone. But she, Ray, she... Um, she was a collector of things. Mm. And so what you see in pictures here seems a bit more minimalist. There are more things in the house than that I'm comfortable with. Gotcha. Although I can appreciate it as an artifact, right? But I just don't find it to be as beautiful as a Mies van der Rohe home. Yeah. And the reason I find minimalist architecture so appealing is the bones are the beauty, the stripping yeah. away, as it says in the article, removing the ornamentation of architecture, all of it, going as far as declaring ornament is a crime. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like an assault on the eyes to the sensibilities even, right? Yeah. The goal of minimalistic architecture is to make something great out of only what is necessary. You can see the progression of Mises' work as he honed the craft, utilizing austere materials to design delicate and beautiful spaces. You can start to identify minimalist design by noticing the integration of the following elements. So, Danny, here's maybe a break off for TikTok. I'll 
go through these eight different elements here of minimalist design, and then we can expand on them together, Ryan. Mm -hmm. So here are eight elements of minimalist design, especially in minimalist architecture. Number one is pure geometric forms. Number two, little to no trim or ornament. Number three, using simple materials like steel, concrete, stone, or glass. Number four, structural honesty or exposing structural systems. Number five, spaces only defined by planar building elements or furniture. So flat surfaces, planar. Number six, efficient orthogonal components. Number seven, repetition to give order to and unify elements. And finally, number eight, clean, sleek lines. And I think that sums it up really well. If you see a home that has all of these or a majority of these things, or not usually a home, often they're buildings, museums, different office complexes, mm -hmm. yeah. they are beautiful, but you don't always know why they're beautiful. They're elegant almost. Yeah. And it's because they have removed all of the excess. They're using geometric forms. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, you know, clean lines and even what one, one, one might call rough edges, unnatural edges to complement the beauty of nature. Yeah. And so it juxtaposes with nature in a way. Yeah. I love the, uh, the structural honesty. Yes. Like that's, that's always one of my favorite aesthetics. Uh, I remember you had an apartment in Dayton, Ohio, and it had all the, the beams exposed and it had structural honesty. Yes. It was gorgeous. And it's funny because we, work so hard to cover things up with drop ceilings and trim or whatever else. But um, yeah, if done right, like all that, all that structural stuff can be art. Yeah. And what we try to do is we hide the ugly elements instead mm -hmm. of making them not ugly. Right. And that's what minimalist architecture does is there is no ugliness there because you've stripped it back and you've paid attention to detail. Yeah. Uh, one, one other thing to, to, I guess, bring to the forefront here of these eight items is the using simple materials like steel, concrete, stone, or glass. I noticed wood wasn't on there, but that it, seems like it would be one of those elements, right? It, it is, mm -hmm. although generally wood can be overused and you can certainly, and as we'll review some minimal spaces here in a bit, you can use wood very well mm -hmm. in, in these spaces. We want to be careful though when we're talking about wood because it may not be as honest of a material in, mm. in a way because yeah, of all the staining and the ceiling and the toxins and, and things yeah. like that. So I'm just thinking about, I, I again, I haven't been to the number eight house, but I know there's a, there's a room where they have like a wooded ceiling. Yes. That, yeah, looks really cool. Yeah, I would, I would say that the Ames house, number eight house is not minimalist architecture. It's, it's close and okay. I wouldn't be mad if someone said it was and someone mm. could even correct me and say, well, actually it is and here are these these reasons. I don't think of it the same way I would as a, a Mies van der Rohe home. Gotcha. Mies and his work were one of the first truly designed under the ethos of less is more. Modern residential architecture frequently skew away from pure minimalism and toward a compromise of modern and traditional, known as, quote, traditional style. However, the influence of minimalism is found in everything from the phone in your pocket hmm. to automotive design. How cool is that, man? Yeah. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's really about simplifying to the essence. Yeah. And there's this beautiful home from Mies van der Rohe in this article. I'll put a link to it 
or put a photo of, of it here on screen if you're watching the video version. Otherwise, you can just follow along in the article itself. This is Mies van der Rohe's 1929 German Pavilion, and it is this stunning space. There's actually some marble here. You'll notice a lot of flat roofs, which aren't very practical if you live somewhere where it rains a lot because right. the water will accumulate there. Yeah. And so um, that is one of those areas where form doesn't follow function, right? right. Because... You want a sloped roof if you have a lot of, or otherwise you can get a lot of water damage. But they yeah. sure are stunning, man. Yeah. You, you go to like certain, even like cemeteries that that they incorporate minimalist design. There's uh, the Woodland Cemetery in Dayton, Ohio. Hmm. There is the the mausoleum there. Oh, okay. That structure has yeah, a lot of these minimalist elements within it. I was not aware of that. Let me ask you something. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, is he considered a minimalist architect? No, no, okay. definitely not. But uh, a rather interesting art architect. Sure. Um, he, in fact, some of the projects he worked on have many of the elements. And I think that's one thing to think about here. It's not binary as to whether, is this a minimalist home or not? Yeah. It's more like, are there minimalist elements in this home? And certainly he had a lot of minimalist elements in the homes he designed. Yeah, absolutely. The Hollyhock home, which you and I have toured. It's gorgeous. And when we were out on tour with Podcast Sean, you know, we would go to different Frank Lloyd Wright houses in the Midwest that he had designed. Mm -hmm. And you certainly see some of these elements. The article goes on to say, minimalist architecture may not be for everyone. And that's okay. Mm. We, I think we were talking about that a bit on the minimal episode, Ryan, because... It's not about prescribing this for everyone. Right. Does everyone need minimalist architecture? No, I mean, that's kind of what the Soviet Union did. Mm. <laughs> and you can, you get a certain sort of uniformity, but you also get a blandness when everything is exactly the same. Yeah. Some, some, pe some people like the busyness of different, different designs. I mean, I know I've had people reach out to me who are like, hey, um, I've, you know, I got a lot of stuff. There's knickknacks and everywhere and I, and I love it. Are you saying that I'm, living my life wrong. And it's like, no, that's okay. Like you, you want a busy looking house. That's fine. Yeah. Just, you don't have yeah. to be a minimalist. That's right. okay. Yeah. Right. You don't have to simplify either. But if those, here's the thing though, if you're asking that question, hmm. then maybe there's something that's bothering you. So it's not about, well, yes, you need to get rid of everything. Hey, what's bothering you? What's actually bothering you? Yeah. I think that's the question worth asking. Yeah. And I think people feel like they're being judged is mm. what it kind of comes down to. Well, one of the most important questions that I ask myself all the time, especially recently when I was selling all of my furniture, mm -hmm. would I buy this again? Mm, yeah. And if the answer is no, then why am I still holding on to it, right? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. it could be because, well, I don't have the money to replace it with something I'd prefer. Okay, that makes sense. Then I'll hold on to it till I can replace it. But maybe I could go without it. Yeah. And if it disappeared today, the spontaneous combustion rule, would I still replace it? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, then, man, I'm going to give myself permission to let go. Yeah. Return to text. Sometimes it can be perceived as cold at first glance. It's like me. <laughs> there is often uh, there is often uh, a predis there's a typo here. There's often a predisposition, a predisposed expectation of what homes and residential structures should look like. New construction of minimalist design probably isn't it. Mm. I think that's true. Quite often we think of new homes and they're kind of cookie cutter and they're not mm. minimalist, right? Yeah. But when done correctly, minimalism can be welcoming and inviting. And I think that's the confusion there. Yeah. Minimalism can actually be really inviting. In fact, when people come over 
to my home. Mm-hmm. They often say, oh, I feel so calm here. I feel welcome. When, yeah. when my landlord came and he said, I'd love to buy all your furniture, it's because he said it felt peaceful yeah. in there, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't say it was sterile, even though we had subtracted everything that was sort of an ornament, yeah. right? Yeah. The article goes on to say, simple design elements without ornamentation or decoration are a huge part of minimalism. Condensing the content and form of an object to its most basic level Mm -hmm. reveals that which is truly essential to the nature of architecture. Mm. Previous to the groundbreaking work completed by Mies van der Rohe, minimalist architects rose from the cubism of de Stol, which is a a Dutch movement, and Ballhaus of the 1920s. The next step taken by Mies was to take the lead from the angular lines of cubism to the premise that minimalism optimized the power of architectural space. Yeah. So when you see a lot of these images here, Ryan, there's a lot of space. It's not tiny homes necessarily. Mm-hmm. In fact, one might make an argument that tiny homes aren't minimalist homes. Sure. Because they minimalism often emphasizes the non-use of space. Yeah. The available space, the calmness of space. Yeah. Some of my favorite homes, and <clears throat> yours is very similar to this, it's like, You've got a kitchen, you've got a dining room, you have a family room, and there's really only furniture that's separating those rooms. Yeah. Like, you don't have to put up walls. You can just be very deliberate with your furniture, with your decorations, and it's very clear what room is what. Right. And so having no rooms in three rooms in one room with no walls, it's like having one room, but it's also three rooms. Mm -hmm. Our new home is this way. The kitchen, the dining area, and the living room are all just sort of together. It's Mm -hmm. one big open space there, right? And yes, it's delineated. You know where the dining room is, even though it's part of the same room. You know where the kitchen is because there's a fridge and a stove. You know where the living room is because there's a couch and a, eventually a coffee table and, mm-hmm. and and all of these things that sort of delineate the space yeah. but without putting up walls. Right. The article goes on to say, what many do not realize that previous to the influence of the cubists, and I think that's maybe the reason why I really have enjoyed cubist art. It's some of my favorite art. You know, you look at Picasso as yeah. uh, the, the most uh, popular example of cubist art. Is it's a, I think it's different. The, 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 sh- the harsh lines really draw me in. Mm. But also you're seeing multiple angles from the same angle. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that. I think it's why I was drawn to David Foster Wallace, who's not a minimalist writer. He's a maximalist writer, people have called him. But it's almost looking at the same thing from several different perspectives. Mm. A Picasso painting, you're looking at it all at the same time. You're looking at the side profile and the front-facing face Mm -hmm. all at the same time. It becomes disorienting. But with minimalist architecture, they were influenced by the those harsh lines of of cubism, clearly, Mm -hmm. as you'll see in some of these photos here. So, what many do not realize is that the, pre- the previous to the influence of the Cubists was the influence of the traditional simplicity of the Japanese aesthetic and its accompanying Zen philosophy. And I think this is sort of the origins of minimalist architecture, mm. honestly. Yeah. Uh, Zen architecture, Japanese architecture, right? Mm-hmm. This simplicity was a way for the spirit to achieve inner freedom and calm. The result was a reflection of the desired Zen in their personal lives as well as their homes and gardens. 
And then Ryan, there is this picture, which we'll put on the screen here, of this modern courtyard with an infinity edge pool in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. It is stunning. I don't know if this is a house or a museum, what it is, but these clean lines here in the open space, there's not much there, but it's almost like everything is there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that you, One thing I really appreciate about uh, minimalist architecture that I learned through kind of reading these articles and stuff is they will take one thing and focus on whatever that one thing is. So with that courtyard, for example, they're like, we want to focus on nature and we want to focus on the water. And then they build around that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where, you know, often we are, um, we're, we're, at, we're trying to focus on too many things at once. Yeah. Yeah. We interviewed a minimalist architect in our first film, Minimalism, and his name is Frank. And Frank often talked about how he likes to build a house around someone's life instead of trying to cram a life into someone else's house. And that was so beautiful to me because it made me realize that nothing is 100% essential to everyone. Mm -hmm. It's not to do you need a dining table because everyone's going to say yes to that. But maybe you don't. Maybe you don't want one. Yeah. Or you certainly don't need a formal dining room and a breakfast nook and a you know dining table, whatever. And so understanding how you want to live your life helps you simplify the space as well. Mm-hmm. The basic premise of Japanese aesthetic principles strives to find beauty in the natural state of objects without decorative purpose, just as they are in their state of being. Finding intrinsic value in forms of nature that we, as a society, take for granted is known as wabi-sabi and fundamental to minimalism. So wabi-sabi, that's more of my wife's taste. Like Mm -hmm. She likes these little imperfections. And we'll have some images here that I think present some of the wabi-sabi style, the, the the perfection of the imperfect. Yeah. In fact... Sometimes in traditional Japanese architecture or decorating or interior design, they'll intentionally bring in an imperfect object to imperfect the space Mm, to show man's humanity in a way, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just going to skip ahead a few paragraphs here because then there's this this kitchen that's also in Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. But it goes on to talk about Scandinavian minimalism also joined the design conversation as a way to soften some of the harder aspects of Zen-inspired minimalism. Mm. Softer colors prevail. Designing with the HAG, H-Y-G-G-E concept, which means comfort. Yeah. And and my wife and her family are uh, Scandinavian. And that concept permeates, you know, they're from Minnesota. It permeates... Scandinavian culture, which has permeated Minnesota as well. Mm. This concept of, of simple comfort, hag. And you'll see that in, the, in these spaces. Building with the environment in mind is huge. And the light and contrasting patterns break up some of the harsher angular elements. In short, they make the Scandinavian influence on minimalism more comfortable. The Scandinavians design architecture and structure to live minimally, putting the person more in front of the space rather than the space being the sole focus. When it comes to color, white still rules Scandinavian minimalism, but there is room for muted basic colors or even pastels dialed way down. Neutral colors blend seamlessly with natural wood, a cornerstone of any Scandinavian inspired element. As clutter is detested, 
so too is useless furniture. If there is a table, there is storage. If there is a chest, use it. Form has function. Function has form. Create a minimalist space, but create one that is useful. Those are, yeah, those are some pretty awesome uh, ideas. Yeah. I, I, on Instagram, I see every once in a while some Scandinavian furniture. And it is like, um, yeah, there's always a little storage compartment somewhere. Like they, they, they make the most use out of that piece of furniture that they can. Not only that, but sometimes they do some really cool things to um, be able to make it compact. Mm-hmm. So like you can kind of shrink a dining room table real easily. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and, and, and yeah, save some space. It's, Expand it for guests when yeah. necessary. But mm-hmm. let's face it, you don't need the eight places for guests unless you have a you know, giant Catholic or Mormon family. Right. right. Uh, and, uh, but if you have a, don't have a bunch of people over, it's just you and your wife and a couple kids and, you know, husband, wife, and, and then you just need four place settings, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having more than that is excess, but having it availability mm-hmm. is really helpful if, if you're going to use it once, twice, three times a month. Yeah. Well, the article goes on to show some more images. I'm going to go to the end of it here. You can read the, the entire thing. These elements are all the early fundamental groundwork for minimalism as minimalism employs basic geometric shapes, harmonious colors, natural textures, open plans, spatial arrangements, clean finishes, extensive extensive use of integrated windows, and use of negative spaces. Mm. That's one thing that Mies van der Rohe did really well. And like the Stahl House, for example, has a great use of windows. I will say that the homes are not very energy efficient when, no. back then. No. Um, in California, that tends to work out well a lot right. of the time. It's great in Southern California. Yeah. <laughs> but having all glass walls in Ohio or Montana, for example, is going to yeah be a huge um, yeah energy deficient deficiency. Yeah, and there are ways to work around that though. So you can have you know, the north facing walls when you're really high, north facing yeah. glass, right? So mm-hmm. that you get the the light, but you don't have the direct sunlight coming in. Yeah. Or you know, you, there are certain things that could be done with windows with glass, mm-hmm. and also the the newer technologies of glass now, the double panes, triple panes that yeah. can be more energy efficient for mm-hmm. sure. All right, the article ends with saying, with the recent focus on decluttering one's life and the accompanying philosophy of simplicity, along with the popularity of shows whose influence are pulled from Mises' Less is More philosophy, i.e. Marie Kondo's Does This Spark Joy, Perkins Architecture has seen renewed interest in minimal house architecture in modern residential architecture and residential architectural styles. As Tulsa architects, oh, their their architects are based in Tulsa. That's why the the Tulsa homes here. <laughs> I was also wondering that why so many of the homes were in Tulsa. I'm like, it, man, they must have really good taste there. <laughs> yeah, it looks stunning. In fact, yeah. uh, the one of the homes in this article looked like that Ando Museum. Uh, what is that in Fort Worth, Danny? I think it's the uh, the modern museum and oh, modern yeah. art museum in Fort there. Worth. Yeah, yeah, Ando. I mean, and the art is great, but like you you don't even need to put art on the walls there. You could just go look at the the building. It's yeah. stunning. Yeah, absolutely. There is more of a focus on the empty or negative space that is the opposite of the ornamentation and designing for function that traditional architect architecture offers. So that's the key here, I think. If I were to take one way one thing away from this whole thing is the using the space by not using it. Right. Having the space and not needing to fill it. Mm-hmm. 
recognizing that anything that is space doesn't necessarily need to be filled with more. And that's really difficult, especially I remember when I built my little McMansion, you know, the the two and a half car garage, full basement, the mm-hmm. uh, three bedroom, big house, a two living room sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you feel compelled to fill every room because otherwise these rooms don't look beautiful. Right. It looks like a, uh-oh, here's another walk-in closet. Yeah. And that's what they end up becoming anyway. They mm-hmm. became little storage lockers throughout the house. We were just on the Rachel Cruz show recently and we were talking to her about the five stages of hoarding. Yeah. And I recognized at one point I was actually a stage three hoarder because if you have a room that is either unusable or inaccessible, Mm -hmm. and I had one, our third bedroom was just a, I mean, it was usable in the sense that we stored stuff we didn't use in it. (laughs) Right. Which means we didn't use it. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, I know we've talked about this before, but, it blows my mind that stage one hoarding, you have to have a, a light amount of clutter in a few different rooms yeah, and no noticeable odors. That's stage one. Well, I detect a noticeable odor right now, Ryan. So are you stage That's, two? I'm at least stage two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The article ends with this line. There is a Zen-like calm in the simplicity we appreciate as architects. Mm-hmm. With minimalism in architecture, there is a peaceful calm in the absence of clutter. Mm. With minimalism, there is a peaceful calm with the absence of clutter. Yeah. Man, I, yeah, I was really, like my mouth was drooling over all of these different blueprints and pictures and things that we were looking at in preparation for this episode. Well, let me swing you around here, Ryan, because we are going to watch a video together. Before we do that, I want to look at some of these homes. So come on around here. I'll pull up your microphone. Let's see how it looks on my camera, Jordan. All right. Here he goes. Looking good. Looking good. You know and then we'll do uh, picture in picture right here. We'll look at some of these uh, homes that inspire calm. What, my favorite thing about um, some of these designs, and maybe we can find one here, but incorporating the outside with the inside, mm-hmm. that is, that's really awesome. That feels, feels good to me. Bringing nature. And one of the beautiful things about living in a place like California mm-hmm. is one's ability to have access to nature and these spaces that either you're like, is this an indoor space? Is it an outdoor space? Is it both? I'm, right. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll talk about that here. So this first image here, Ryan, this one is called Implicit. We're going to put a link to this. It's from wallpaper.com, which is a magazine. Mm-hmm. The article is called Minimalist Architecture Homes That Inspire Calm. Dude, that's so fun. It's so simple, but like so gorgeous. Is that a fireplace? It is a fireplace. Okay. And what is essential about this is everyone has walls, right? Mm-hmm. But the walls here are done with a finish that becomes the art. So yeah. you don't need, in fact, art on these walls would, cl- like a regular white wall, plaster wall, mm-hmm. like we have over here. Mm-hmm. You, you can improve upon that with art, right? Yeah. But you would actually clutter up the walls here in this space that yeah. you're looking at yeah. somewhere right up here. And here's a little wabi-sabi element, an imperfect vase that you mm-hmm. see in the uh, in the photo and yeah. a nature element as well with the, the plant as well. So this is a bit of that Japanese-inspired minimalist design we were talking about. You might see something like this in a Axel Vavort home or Kanye West's home mm. where the walls are subtle. You might call them beige, but this isn't this isn't your dad's architecture, you know, uh, the the cookie cutter neighborhood beige. Right, right. This is an intentional beige. Yeah. 
And it, it calms the space in a way that maybe a white wall wouldn't. It adds a bit of texture as well. You notice these yeah. walls have some significant texture. Yeah. And the way the light hits it, it makes the entire wall look different. They call that, um, it's called a faux finish. Okay. And uh, yeah, you can do some really amazing things with it. Now you did For a lot. Of, you did a lot of that, Ryan, when you were hanging wallpaper and mm -hmm. painting. So tell me more yeah. about the faux finishes. Oh, basically, you can just create these different textures, these different uh, color, or adding, adding some interest or adding some beauty to these otherwise basic colors, mm -hmm. just by put, putting a little bit of texture. But you can also, um, man, like I saw one of the coolest ones I saw was a map that we like wallpapered on the wall. Okay. And then we had someone come in behind us and they did some faux finish to make it look like the wall was kind of peeling back and revealing the map. Oh, cool. It was really cool. That's great. Yeah. A few other things here. Here's another picture we'll put up on the screen for you. This is the Maison Pour Dodo. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you pronounced that correctly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'll notice some of the elements here, Ryan. Like uh, this is more my style mm -hmm. where you have like a mirror on the wall. You do mm -hmm. have like a, a bookshelf with a well-curated small book collection All there. the books are the same color. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> you know what? You, our favorite bookstore, downtown Los Angeles, is called The Last Bookstore. Yeah. And they have this room where they sell used books, mm -hmm. but all the books are cataloged not by title or author, but by the color of their spine. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's my favorite place to go hunt. Like, I'll go to the purple book section. Yeah. I'll go to the white book section, the black book, the red books, like wherever they are. And then you just start pulling out random books and, and reading lines. Yeah. Our, uh, our friend Joey did that with his book, with his uh, library cases. I don't know if you remember that or not. but In it's, Colorado? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's beautiful. And so what you see here is one simple plant, mm -hmm. right? And you have a, a simple table. You do have some wood floors here. This mm -hmm. is really hard to pull off. Having a wood floor, wood chairs, and a wood table, yeah, nearly impossible to pull off this combination. So, so much intentionality goes into that. And then you have that subtle pop of color. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't have a blue couch personally, but mm -hmm. that, that was their preference. It works well here. Yeah. If you made everything blue, it'd be overwhelming. But that one thing, it stands out, but it still brings that calm into the space. Mm -hmm. Alright, we have another photo here. This is the ex the exterior of a Palm Desert home. I think this yeah. is out in Palm Springs somewhere. And you see the clean lines, mm -hmm. right? This desert home from Studio ST Architects. And what you really see here are clean lines all the way across. In fact, there's these different walls that mm -hmm. make up this fence area. And even those mimic the home, right? Yeah. And juxtaposed with that blue sky... It's the nature that gives you the pop of color. Yeah. That's stunning. It really is. And it looks like a it's a fairly plain and simple house. Imagine that at sunset. That would look awesome, too. Oh, stunning. Mm. Imagine, yeah, that whole background at sunset. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. And then we've got the Sin Nombre Casa. And it is aggressively simple it's here. So, if you took out the furniture of this, it would look like a prison cell to me. But if, mm. but when you add in these subtle things like the corner couch, the chair, the mm -hmm. little pieces of pottery on the table, the, the table even itself, like just beautiful kind of just pops. It's because it's all gray. Mm -hmm. um, but everything's a little bit of a different shade of gray. Yeah, it's like beige-ish gray. So, yeah. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is like they did a really good job of like turning this prison cell into a piece of art. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And what you're bringing up here is like anything could be a prison. Like this room we're in could be turned into a prison cell sure. really easily. Yeah. What elements are you bringing in that soften the space? Mm -hmm. Because minimalism and minimalist architecture in particular often gives us the harsh lines, 
the austerities, but then we soften it, not with, well, let's just line the walls with pillows, right? Mm -hmm. And let's just throw all the color in here, right? No, color can be beautiful. Mm. Let's not overdo it. Yeah. Let's not overdo anything. We've created this template, this mm-hmm. canvas, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, it even kind of looks like a canvas here, right? It really does. What is that grayscale? You see right above the table there? It's like a, is that a, is that painting? That looks like a plant to me. Um, it, Right here. Right here, this? Oh, right here? Yeah, like they that literally. That is a fireplace. Oh, it's a fireplace. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it, it's just a subtle fireplace there. Oh, I see. And that's from the wood burning. It is. That's genius. So what softens wow. the space? Let's talk about, so because some people see this and say it's beautiful. What makes it beautiful? Well, like you said, if it was just empty room, it would be mm-hmm. less beautiful. Now, the first thing that they've done is they've added some texture yep. and some subtle color to the beige walls in here, the gray beige walls. Mm-hmm. There's also an entire wall of windows right there. Light always will soften the space and warm it up in a way that mm-hmm. that embraces nature. Sun is nature, yeah. right? And then the furniture that's brought in here, it's intentional. There's this wraparound couch that, that fits the room well. And, and it certainly looks comfortable to me, but it has that yeah. softness as well. You still maintain the clean lines with it. Yeah. And then you have pillows on it and you have a blanket that matches the decor, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have that table that's right there in the middle mm-hmm. with a few objects. It looks like there are some books. There is a bowl. Mm-hmm. All of this, though, including the chair, it's all art. And yeah. you can literally go to an art museum and see any of this in an art museum and say, oh, yeah, that is a piece of art. Yeah. In fact, I was out in Palm Springs recently, Ryan, mm-hmm. and the Palm Springs Modern Art Museum, they had this chair exhibit. Mm. And it was just different designer chairs. And they were all art. I mean, they were all chairs mm. that I would otherwise like to sit in. They wouldn't allow us to sit in them. Right. But I, most of them, except for the, some of the postmodern chairs, which got a little weird, they were cool to look at. But that definitely form didn't follow function there. Yeah. That makes me think of Rick Owens' chairs in that video. Yeah, we're going to get to the... We're going to get to it, yeah. He's like, he's like, these chairs, you don't sit in them because they're not very comfortable, but they're beautiful to look at. <laughs> yeah, and they are rather postmodern as well. Yeah. So what, what I'll say is this space, while it combines comfort and the beauty, mm-hmm. all of the objects in this space that you're looking at right now in the video vo- version, or if you're just following along in the article, yeah. the, this is the Sin Nobre Casa. It is a beautiful space. The whole thing looks like a work of art. What what most impresses me again is this fireplace because what they've done is that like that uh where you can tell where the wood has been burning or the gas or whatever mm-hmm. and it's caused this discoloration. Mm-hmm. But until you pointed it out that it was a fireplace, I thought it was like painted intentionally. Yeah. That's pretty wild. The that's the wabi sabi element there yeah. that becomes part of the art. Mm-hmm. Let's do a few more here. Cool. This one is uh, Japanese minimalism. Yeah. And this is the epitome of wabi-sabi. Mm-hmm. You have, well, you don't tend, to, in a lot of Japanese minimalism, you don't tend to have a lot of furniture. You've stayed in Tokyo before and mm. in other places in Japan. Oh, yeah. yep. And it doesn't have the traditional American furniture where no. there's a couch and a coffee table and all these chairs and dining table. It's a bit different. You mm-hmm. realize like one isn't correct and one is incorrect. It's mm-hmm. about preference. And quite often these are cultural preferences as well. Yeah. What you'll see in this space are some different wabi-sabi elements, some different Mm -hmm. um, cups or clay uh, holders. It's so, because they could very easily arrange these cups Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, by size and color and make it very, but it's like they intentionally like mix them up again. Mm -hmm. The uh, wabi-sabi, that's, yeah, that's, that's incredible. And then you have just a few other elements that bring more nature into the space. Obviously the light slat, how it's slatting into the space. Yeah. What is Beautiful. it? Is this a painting right here? It looks like the stars. This is a window. Okay. 
And it looks... <laughs> Well, and it could be showing stars or a plant outside oh, the window. Oh, it might be a bush outside the window yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In fact, yeah. we have this in our new house uh, in Ventura County. Mm. All the bedrooms, they have these small windows. The two of the bedrooms, they have these small windows that look out. Mm -hmm. And our neighbor is so kind. When the house is being built, mm. they planted these beautiful flower bushes in front of them. <laughs> That's so nice. now Ella has these purple flowers. She has a view of purple. It's like, it looks like a painting outside her window. Yeah, so this looks like a painting. The reason why I thought it might have been a painting is because to me, it looks like the stars at night. But then I saw the natural light coming in. So I'm like, okay, that can't be stars. Mm -hmm. But that makes sense. Yeah, it's probably a bush out there. That's awesome. A few other natural elements. So you have that bush that you're seeing out there or mm -hmm. could be stars as well. And then you have these, these plants that are accented by the light. You just have a vase that's on the desk space there mm -hmm. with a few flowers in it. You have a few other. What's um, this little guy? I, it looks like some sort of poof, P-O-U-F. Oh, okay. That one might sit on. We have one over there in the studio. Ah, okay. And and so. It looks just, like R2-D2 a little bit, like a minimalist version. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Could be a robot. Yeah. That's the Roomba. All right. Now, this one is much more Scandinavian. Yeah, this one's cool, man. This is the Namora house. Dude, 360 fireplaces are like. Those are awesome. I really admire those. This looks like the guest house in mm. my new house. So mm. this is like, I told you I bought my dream house, but mm -hmm. it's basically uh, the guest house to our house. Mm. And it's this space. There's a concrete floor, yeah. white walls. I don't have a fireplace. I personally would never have a fireplace mm -hmm. just because it's so toxic mm -hmm. yeah, to, to breathe in smoke. But um, I understand the appeal and the beauty behind it, especially the necessity if you're mm. living in a cold climate that and you don't have heating then you need that. Although there mm -hmm. seems to be a heater in this space as well. Mm -hmm. So it looks warm and cozy, but still fairly sterile as well. I don't mm -hmm. know how they were able to balance that other than you have a tremendous amount of light coming in through these shades. Is that little curtain? Is that silver ball? Is that on the wall? Is that hanging? What it is. is. That? That's a light. It's a light oh, fixture. Oh, okay, okay. So you have a light fixture on the wall and then you have a lamp that is next to the Ames chair. I just sold my Ames chair. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. You sold that to your yeah. landlord. Oh, wow. That's wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And but we realized it wasn't going to fit just right in our new space anyway. I was mm. going to try and I was going to try and cram it in because I really like the chair. Yeah. But then if I got someone to buy it, it all worked out, right? All worked out, yeah. I can let go of it. It's okay. But yeah. this space is stunning. Mm. It's a great reading space, relaxing space. It's a space for one right now. I guess you could add a second chair and and uh, it could be a space for two, but mm -hmm. man, it looks it looks inviting, and there is almost nothing in there. So how do, you can't make a empty space inviting, but if you have just the right few details, there's like six details here, right, including the wood mm -hmm. that makes it inviting. Yeah, just a few subtle natural elements. If you got rid of the window, you got rid of the fireplace, and rid of the chair, it might look pretty, but it's not going to feel inviting to you. Yeah. All right, this is the. Raytone Road House in the UK. Is that a kitchen or is that a like a wet bar? I believe it's a kitchen. Oh, yeah. And okay. yeah, you see a stovetop here, right? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. And so at least it's a kitchenette, but mm -hmm. a lot of texture here, but a lot of beige and finding the right color combinations here, that mm. is really difficult. Yeah. But you see it, it's accented with a few black pieces here. There's like a black plate. There are a few black cutting boards and mm. there's a... There's a nature element in the vase with the plant. And then there's, of course, you can see outside, there's the natural 
elements. You're you're opening up. There's literally an open window yeah. that brings you outside, but also brings the outside in, the fresh air, the plants, etc. Yeah, you have one chair here. Uh, doesn't look very comfortable to me, but I might be wrong. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I just it's impressive to me how you can make beige beautiful. Like it, it's really well, or even the gray, beautiful. It's really difficult, and and mm -hmm. so our. In our new living room, it's primarily beige. And I've been having a uh, Beulah who designed our studio space. I've been working with her to make sure we don't pick the wrong beiges, basically. Mm, because yeah. you can really screw up if you pick a beige that has too much peach in it. Mm. Now it just throws the whole space off. It looks weird. Yeah. And so I have a pretty good eye for these things, but not for the subtleties of, uh, of color. Mm. And so... Sometimes leaning on an expert like Beulah. You can follow her on Instagram, by the way, at Beulah. Let her know we said hi. But she has a stunning sense of color yeah. and the subtleties of color. Mm -hmm. Not the giant pops of color, but like the the essential colors that, that change the space subtly, but make you feel warm and welcome. I think I saw her um, post something on her stories that said something like, uh, my soul is... Uh, black, white, gray, and beige. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. All right. This house, uh, this is Desert Palisades. That's great, man. That chair is by a designer called Jean, uh, Pierre Jean Array. Mm. And um, I just know because that I've seen that chair in an Axel Vavort house. Axel Vavort is an interior designer, mm. uh, a designer, architect, etc. We did a, a maximalism episode about him mm. in the past. You can find that. We'll put a link to the maximalism episode in the show notes. But this house is uh, in Desert Palisades out in California. And there is some wood here. It's a wood floor. But talk about bringing the outside in. Yeah. These giant windows, which you can cover up with these giant curtains when the sun is beaming through them. So you don't cook yourself alive. Mm -hmm. But then you have the cactus that is inside there that gets... You know, the, the direct sunlight if you need it to. You have one reading chair with a little side table that has nature elements there. Certainly some wabi-sabi part of that. This, to me, sort of takes the the Mies van der Rohe, the German-American architecture. It blends in the, well, the Pierre Jean Array. He was French but built his furniture in India, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then you have the natural elements, it's kind of has the Zen aspect to it as well, mm. and even feels a bit Scandinavian. So it's blending all these different types of minimalist architecture. It's like they've taken all the colors of that scenery, which isn't a lot. You got some uh, with the rocks and the grass and the mountains in the background, mm -hmm. and they have essentially in that room used that as their inspiration for the colors that's it's really cool man i wish i had the eye for detail like this because i would never know to do that unless like i'd have to copy something if i ever wanted to do something like this and i think it's okay to do that too like you see this and you say ah this is what i want to go for now the problem is if you say this is what i want to go for but then you don't have giant windows it's going to be hard to do right mm -hmm. and so we often try to cram someone else's style into the space that that mm -hmm. we're in as opposed to finding something that resonates with our sensibilities yeah that also works in our space. Like this obviously isn't going to work in my new home. I don't have giant windows like that. So mm -hmm. if I were to show Beulah a picture and say, hey, make this happen, she'd be like, yeah, that wouldn't work. <laughs> right. I'm not going to put giant curtains on a white wall. It wouldn't right. make a whole lot of sense, right. right? Right. Let's do one more here. This one, actually, we'll do two more. I'm going to skip the, the uh, Brazil one because okay. I'm not a giant fan. And I wanted to do uh, this space here. Mm. This is in 
This one's in China. The Zhejiang Private Penthouse. The Gentle Hurricane, China. What a what a great name. The Gentle Hurricane. Yeah. I could call Ella the Gentle Hurricane. <laughs> that would fit. It's it's funny to me how um when people hear minimalism, they think cheap and inexpensive and frugal. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how you can have like minimalist architecture and like, you know, I'll never be able to afford a place like this, man, which is fine. But it's just funny how um, minimalism architecture can get expensive really fast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that chair right there, I think that's called a gooby chair. Mm. It's probably $3,000 for a chair. Good grief. Right? Now, the, the cool thing about this is quite often people will spend $6,000 in their living room furniture, right? Mm-hmm. And they just have a bunch of living room furniture. Right. There's $6,000 of living room furniture in here and it's two chairs. Right. And that's it. The rest of the space becomes the beauty. You don't see any yeah. artwork on the walls here. Not that I'm against artwork, mm. but the space is the art. Yeah. The architecture is the art. It's art architecture. And so you have a you have a vase with one plant in it. It looks like this is a rug here yeah. on the floor with awesome. some subtle colors. Yeah. But everything else is sort of muted and, and toned down. And it's while it's not a space that I would aspire to have, I could mm-hmm. I would walk in there and really appreciate the the beauty mm. that, that I see in it. Mm. And then if you want something that is a bit more brutalist. Yeah, this is wild, man. These uh, these stools, I think these are called Tolex stools. You mm. you see them in a lot of restaurants and stuff. They're not crazy expensive, but they um, they create those brutalist lines. Mm. All of the lines in here are fairly sharp. The walls, the floor, the ceiling are all concrete or concrete appearing. Yeah. They're textured in that way. Even the table matches the floors and the ceiling and the walls. So tell me what you see when you see this space, Ryan. Again, I, it looks like with take out the rug and the chairs, it, w- it would be uh, a, almost a prison cell. But it's, again, like with everything added in there, it, it looks really, really gorgeous. It's a little bit too brutal for me, mm-hmm. but I see what they did. And I can certainly appreciate the art that they have uh, uh, made in this room for sure. And it's too brutal for you at home. But right. if you and I went to a coffee shop like this, yeah. it'd be peaceful. And so yeah. I think context matters as well, yeah, right? That's a great so, point. so this seems to me like it's probably some sort of shared communal space. Mm. I don't know if it's you know where people are eating at a restaurant or something like that. If they're creating some sort of um, yeah brutalist space with some subtle elements of decor yeah. that that all these little tiny pieces of art they bring something forward. There's no excess here, mm-hmm. but there's not too little here either to yeah. where it feels disinviting. It doesn't feel like stay away from me like a prison cell does. Mm. It feels like, oh yeah, come on in. Wow. 100%. Yeah. Well, uh, to me, when I say prison cell, what I'm imagining is is uh, solitude. Mm. I'm imagining sitting by yourself, having having nothing uh, to do except to be with yourself. Yes. And solitude isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I keep saying prison cell, which kind of sounds like a pejorative. I don't mean it to sound that way. It no. just, I really just mean uh, it looks it looks like a great place for solitude. My favorite coffee shop before they closed, aesthetically favorite, not mm. favorite coffee, but favorite coffee in terms of, uh, f- favorite shop in terms of aesthetics mm-hmm. was a place in West Oakland mm. called Trouble Coffee. You can still find, actually, let's put a photo of it right up here, Jordan. See you can still find one here. I'll pull it up for you right now. Let's go to... Uh, no, I'm just really glad we dove into this architecture stuff because I don't know um, how else I would have like making made the time to to look up all this stuff. And it's I just had no idea how amazing this architecture could be. It's free. It's freaking sweet. I'm not like I mean I like art. I like going to museums. I can appreciate that stuff. 
Oh, wow. That's, that's wild. That is cool. So this spot, which is no longer here, unfortunately, I think they closed during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But here's the seating area, Ryan. <laughs> that's wild. So, Jordan, I will text you this image here, um, and then you can put it up on the screen here. So, this is Trouble Coffee. Their coffee was decent. It was in the m- middle of like a re- relatively run-down neighborhood. Mm. But I'll show you where you come. Like, it was, look at this. It's like a gated entrance, and yeah. there's nothing else really around it. I love this sign out the chalkboard, the sandwich sign. It has uh, Join the Cult written on it. That's right. Because it does look a little cultish. It does. Now, but you know what's amazing about like this one that you're, the one that you're going to post that uh, uh, you're going to send to Jordan is there are people sitting in this room. Uh huh. Without those people, it would be, it wouldn't be art to me. Wow. So it's like the people create, th- them being there creates the art. That's the Scandinavian piece where the mm. people pull it forward, right? Mm. Whereas if you took the people out, it'd be more zen. Right. But this is the mixture of the two. Now, mm-hmm. if you look at this photo, which we have on the screen at this point, you walked in and you ordered your coffee and you would go sit over there. Now, what do you, if, if people are just listening to this, Ryan, mm-hmm. describe the picture that we're looking at right now. We're looking at a, a very echoey room. And the reason why I say that is because there are two walls. There are two benches that are kind of built into the wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a flat coffee table. And it just it looks very, um, well, like very cubist. And what, um, what colors are in this photo? Yes. And everything, well, everything man-made is white. Pristine white. Pristine white. White as white can be. Whiter than Josh. <laughs> <laughs> now that's white. <laughs> but then all of the... All of the color that is in this photo is from nature, which is, again, like, that's what makes it the art. It's like, it's, uh, yeah, the people sitting there um, and then the building in the background with a little tree. It's it's crazy how, again, take out all the, everything that is natural in here is is what is color. Take all that out and then it, the room wouldn't be very inviting. Yeah. But like with the people sitting there and that, yeah, the little tree in the background, it's amazing. And it's strangely inviting in the sense that it is so peaceful and tranquil. I used to go here anytime we would go to the Bay Area mm-hmm. uh, be- before the pandemic. I would go here and just grab a cup of coffee and sit. And there's no Wi-Fi. There's no disruptions. Mm. And yes, the light is coming in the room. Mm-hmm. And it is stunning. You see the brick building back there. You see a tree. You see the blue sky. But everything else is like, put me in a straight dr- jacket sterile, right? Yeah. And yet, it's not <laughs> sterile at all. Right. Yeah, put some uh, put some pads on those walls, make a pad out of the walls, and yeah, <laughs> it would be an insane asylum. When we first moved to LA, Bex and I rented a house in the hills, not far from here, for a couple months as we were trying to find our longer-term apartment. Mm-hmm. And it, had, it, was all, it was like it had white floors even. Mm. So this place has white floors. And let me tell you this, I don't want white. I think they're stunning. Mm, yes. This place used to close every day. I believe it was at 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. Yeah. For 20 minutes just to clean the floors. It's insane. Every day. Have to. Because the floors are aggressively white. The table's white. The bench is white. The walls are white. But it created this serenity. And what I'll tell you, the thing I like most about Japanese Zen minimalism, Hmm. it has to do with a lot of the the rituals behind it, with the making of of tea or the, the hot towels. And you see the ritualistic aspects that Mm -hmm. go into it. And what Mm -hmm. does that mean? It's intentional. Yeah, We're doing things with intention. Things have a purpose. They're useful. And there's beauty within all of it. Beauty infuses 
the intentionality. And that's what I see in a space like this. Because Ryan, you're right. If I cover that window up with a white wall, mm-hmm. take the people out of mm-hmm. here, then it just looks like an insane asylum. Yeah. And yet it is one of the most, or it was one of the most inviting spaces I've ever been in. It's almost like with all the minimalist architecture, and you could probably throw minimalist art, even music to a certain extent. It's like you you take away everything that you can. So you create this blank canvas Mm -hmm. and then you add as little as you can to make it as beautiful as possible. It's a beautiful way to put it, man. So like with, when I think of like, um, like even Philip Glass, for example, like he has these, like Einstein on the beach is a, you don't need to do any mushrooms. Like you just listen to Einstein on the beach and you feel like you're tripping. Like it's unbelievable. But what he does is it's repetition with one specific beat so he's got, that's his blank canvas is like this repetition, this rhythm. And then he'll add in like little elements of music here and there. Right. And it creates this masterpiece. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's impressive, man. So there are two ways to do that, really. One is to, if you have a very cluttered piece of music or cluttered home, mm-hmm. cluttered car, cluttered life, it's subtracting, right? Mm-hmm. But if you have a blank canvas then it's adding slowly, mm-hmm. intentionally, avoiding adding anything unless it's useful or beautiful. Yeah, We're going to put another link to another article in here, Ryan. Let's look at this video together real quick. Oh, cool. This other article, we just have some more examples of minimalist architecture. I'll pull this up real quick so we can talk about what the article is. Is this Rick Owens? No, we're going to do oh. the we're going to do the video yeah. here in a second. Uh, so this is Dzen. They have just a bunch of different minimalist architectural buildings and some of them are stunning. I mean, we're talking aggressive minimalism in a lot it's of just these. About, it's about yeah, it's about again like having a blank canvas, adding some lines here and there, adding a little bit of color here and there and then all of a sudden you've got this masterpiece. And I love what you said earlier, Ryan. Like when you look at some of these spaces here, we're looking at at the uh just these pages of different minimalist mm-hmm. architecture. It's their tag over on the website. So a bunch of different articles of minimalist homes, if you want to look at a bunch of different examples. Mm-hmm. But you'll see some of the most compelling ones to, to us uh, are the ones where they're really harsh, like this one here, Ryan, mm-hmm. where nature is, is beautiful and simple. On the exterior, it brings forth the color, the calm, mm. and the space juxtaposes with that. It's still simple as well, mm. but it's the man-made beauty. And having those two together is what really brings the beauty forward. Yeah, absolutely. Let's check out this Rick Owens video because, uh, well, I did not even know who he was until I was looking into this stuff. I've heard you mention him before. Mm-hmm. But um, so he's a for for our audience, he's a clothes designer. He is okay. Yeah, he also does like some furniture collections yeah. and things like that. But he's most known for being a clothes designer. It started yeah. back in the eighties or nineties, and we're gonna take a look at his space here. I love how that's how the video starts out. There's a dealer in New York who would just send me pictures of sarcophaguses, <laughs> and, and then and it's funny because he goes on. I don't know how much of this video we're gonna watch, but at, so it starts with that, and it's like this teaser into his life, and it's a great teaser because he is an eccentric person. Yes. He's aggressively minimalist and the sarcophagus that he's pointing out, it's just a beige sarcophagus. And what he was saying was, as he got a hold of an art dealer and he's like, hey, anytime you come across these sarcophaguses, send me a picture. I want to buy one eventually. But the problem is that the sarcophaguses had so much freaking color on them because uh-huh. like, you know, you're, you're, you're making it as gaudy and as, and as, you know, um, st- to stand out as much as you can for whoever's getting buried in that thing. Mm-hmm. And then he, f- they finally sent him a picture of this one that was just like, it looks like it's unfinished. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I really liked about this, Ryan, 
is I really appreciated Rick Owens' sensibilities. Oh, yeah. I don't care for his aesthetics personally. Like, they don't even work for me, even though he's aggressively minimalist. Yeah, me either. I can appreciate them, though. I appreciate it, and I appreciate his sort of sensibility, the, the need to not bring anything superfluous in. But then he has mm-hmm. these, like, little weird quirks that I don't have, but, like, I would never have a sarcophagus, even if I had a space <laughs> for it. Like, it doesn't make sense. But then later in the video, there's a skull Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, that's interesting. And why do you have that? And he yeah. talks about that. Oh, it's great, man. Yeah, I really appreciate his thought behind this whole video. Everything he has from his clothes. So yeah, the skull and the and the, the description of the skull too. Like how he uses that. It, I, I mean, I don't know if, if I can do a spoiler. Yeah, go here. for it. But like basically, you know, he talks about um, it, the skull is right in between two rooms. And one of the rooms like kind of represents his life uh-huh. and 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 then that skull is just like kind of a representation of the uh ephemerality of being a human and i think um he said something like uh, it reminds me that one day uh my skull is going to be on someone's table yes <laughs> yeah and and how you know life it, with the momentum mori which is you know you're going to die basically there's a reminder that we are all going to die yeah and that's okay and Sometimes we need that reminder because we pretend as though we're going to live forever. This time is infinite. And so mm. we just waste it, waste it, waste it. Yeah. And that was a reminder that helped him not waste his time. Now, in your will, if you die before me, I'm the one that's in charge of your body. You okay <laughs> if I like if I like get your skull and put it on my desk? Yeah, totally. <laughs> we have to total- fight Bex for it. I would totally do that. I know she would. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she's she could kick my ass. I don't know if I want to challenge her. She, she could have the rest of my body. Just a skeleton. <laughs> right. Yeah, like Bex, come on, at least give me like the femur, <laughs> one of the femurs. <laughs> All right, so All right. Um, we'll just watch a little bit of this. And we'll we'll comment on the space, and you can watch the full video. We'll put a link to it in the yeah, show. Yeah, you can like skip through it, man. Yeah, let's just yeah. go through. So we just saw yeah. the sarcophagus. Sarcophagus, yep. Beautiful pieces of like marble, stone, um, vases, 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 because they're probably expensive. So they're they're vases. <laughs> that's right. All right, and that what's what's cool too. Oh, that's what it was. I said the room that represents life. It was the gym. Yeah, so his living room is like, I it's don't know. It's a gym. It's all j- gym equipment. Yes. But, and again, I would never do that personally, but mm-hmm. it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it fits his sensibilities well. Yeah. And then you see his TV. He's <laughs> I, watching himself on TV. Th- you know he was like, okay, so yeah, he's watching himself on his TV and uh, he's watching the introduction to the video, which is so meta. Jordan, this is at 36 seconds. We'll put up just the, the, uh, the still image from the video here. So once the introduction is over, that he's watching on his own TV, the introdu- introduction to this video, again, like how meta is that? He like, just like th- looks at the camera and he's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> like, like he's approving of, he's like, yeah, you guys got it right. And the space is like aggressively minimal, except there's some one plant there. There's, mm. there's a little, it looks like, appears to be a dining table there. And he has this giant TV on a stand and a pair of headphones plugged into it. You know what what's, drives me crazy about this is the cord on the floor. It would drive me crazy. And, and I've noticed that throughout this video, he has like he, uh, army blankets, for example. He just has them thrown around on the floor. There's no, there's no um, pattern to it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 weird. Okay, let's get to that part so you can see it yeah, as well. So, so it's you actually you can see here in this photo, Jordan. We're at 46 seconds right now. What he is standing on is army an army blanket. Yeah, and, and he, he does it for acoustics, and he also does it for aesthetics. Like he just likes the that texture randomly throughout his house. That's right. Yeah. Now his walls are all travertine. 
I'm at 51 seconds right now, Jordan, which folks can see the still image here on the screen. And at 51 seconds, you can see the travertine that all of his walls are made of. Yeah. And as we go forward travertine here... Travertine is a rock. Yes. Yeah. yeah so his, all of his walls are made of travertine. Yeah. Porous and, rock. Yeah. And it adds the this simple element, this mm. texture, mm -hmm. but it's not so sterile. It's bringing nature inside, yeah. right? Yeah. And so... uh this section here is called Objects of Affection uh, mm -hmm. of the video. We're at 56 seconds. And he said, I wouldn't call myself a collector. Mm. More like an eliminator. Yeah. Oh. So good, man. Yeah. And you see that in his space. They're quirky things, but everything excessive has been eliminated. Excessive yeah. for him. Because some of these things would certainly be excessive for me, mm -hmm. including the sarcophagus. Yep. All right. To move forward, he He's has got, a little sculpture here. Yeah. Beautiful sculpture. Yeah, it just it makes sense that um, he said this is something I wanted to have for a really long time. Yeah, he's, he said most things that he has uh -huh. have been things that he's wanted for a really long time. So, mm. well, like the sarcophagus. Yeah. Like, who knows how long ago he started looking for that. But yeah. he's like, okay, I want a sarcophagus, which I think I think he's like, um, he's like a minimalist uh, goth. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you for know, sure. Which is totally cool. But anyway, so yeah, he gets a hold of an art dealer. He's like, hey, I want a sarcophagus. Mm -hmm. And uh, just keep sending me pictures and eventually I'll get one. Yeah. And he waited until he, he found like the one that he felt was, you know, the perfect one he was looking for. I guess perfect is such a uh, a silly term, but but something that fit the best. Perfect for him. Yeah. And and so talk about the wait for it rule. I mean, right? he waited until he found the one that mm -hmm. he really wanted. He didn't settle. Clearly. Do you want a sarcophagus for your birthday, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> it is, well, it was my birthday a few weeks ago, so mm. I guess we'll have to wait till next year. <laughs> All right, so there's the sculpt, uh, the sculpture. We'll move forward here. You see his gym, uh, one minute and 51 seconds of the video. Here it is. Actually, one minute, 56 seconds, Jordan. You see the full sort of length of, mm -hmm. uh, of the gym. His whole living room is essentially, 80% of his living room is a gym. Yeah. And uh, then we go on. You see the travertine walls. We move mm -hmm. into his bedroom. And, and here's what drives me crazy. Two minutes and 11 seconds. There are two things that drive me crazy here. Mm -hmm. So you see his bed. It's up on a little platform. The mm -hmm. walls are beautiful. He mm -hmm. adds a little pop of color with the bed. It's like this blue gray. Yeah. Uh, almost there's like almost a purple hue to the, uh, the sheets and the pillows. Mm -hmm. But then he has army blankets all on the floor. Now, Again, do you remember why he said he uses those? I thought it was for acoustics and for, um, it was acoustics and something else. But, but there's no rhyme or reason to it. Well, it and, is. It's to him. So he said, a he wants to soften the space. Mm -hmm. But b he made his first few clothing collections by going to the army surplus store, oh, right. and he would just grab army blankets and different army canvases and make the clothing out of those items. Reminds me of Erwin Raphael McManus. He mm -hmm. was doing that with his most recent collection mm. where he was taking old army surplus. He'd been holding on to it for decades, apparently, in oh, a wow. warehouse, wow. waiting to deploy it in some sort of fashion collection. Wow. And that, and I guess he said wherever he goes now, he just stacks up these army blankets. Mm -hmm. He puts them on the floor. Now, what drove me crazy are all these little flower petals or plant petals that are on top of the army blankets. Is that what those are? It's like little leaves, basically, I, I from his it, indoor plants. Oh, wow. I thought it was like color. It's... It's it's amazing because it's like it's it's a uh, messy art. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. It really is, and you'll see him. He's always dressed the same. Mm -hmm. He's wearing these black shorts. He has these um, sneakers on that are black and white. <laughs> What's up with the sole? Are those like the 
the gym for your feet they look shoes. Like, so, yeah, they look like some <laughs> sort of Kanye West sneaker. That's crazy. And he has a black jacket shirt mm-hmm. on. He has long black hair. Yeah. And as we move forward, you get to see his closet. Oh, those are the chairs. So we'll, we'll at, get there in a second. Okay. But you open his closet right next to his bed, and what do we see, Ryan? He's got like a um, think of a hook that you have in the bathroom for a towel. Yes. He's got one hook. Uh huh. He's got a hat. He's got a robe, and he's got a hanger. I don't know what he hang- probably hangs the jacket that he's wearing up on there, and then below that he has a shelf, one shelf, mm-hmm. and he's got stacks of shirts and. Pan, uh, bottoms, pants yeah. and shorts, essentially. Yeah, he said he just wears shorts. So he wears, he's like, I just like to wear the same outfit every day. Mm-hmm. And so whenever a new collection comes out, I'll get like 20 pairs of shorts and I just stack them everywhere. Yeah, he's like, I got little stacks of clothes everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I have 20 shirts, 20 shorts. I just stack them wherever I want to stack them. Mm-hmm. I have access to them mm-hmm. and it's not a big deal, right? Yeah. And so you get to see that, Jordan, right now we're at three minutes and six seconds in the video. And then uh, actually, if you go to three minutes and 11 seconds, you get the close up of his minimalistic wardrobe, it says on the screen. We'll move forward here. That actually is very similar to what I have in Mariah and I's closet because it's two of us. So there's more than just my stuff. But I have like three stacks of my clothes. Yeah. I got underwear. Uh, pants or shorts and shirts. That's it. I was inspired by him because I'm like, why do I have so many clothes? Even though I have <laughs> right. way fewer pairs of pants than him, it feels mm-hmm. like his is such a, a simple mm-hmm. setup. Now, the we're at three minutes, 46 seconds. You're looking into his bathroom. Another little pop of color. He's got this towel hanging mm-hmm. on. And that drove me crazy too. It looks out of place. He has this organized chaos. Or actually, it's not even, he just has this chaos disheveled order simple chaos yeah it's yeah yeah and there is no there's no pattern there's no reason it's just it's the it's the wabi sabi thing it is it's his yeah. own version it's like it's emo wabi sabi emo wabi sabi yes it is and then throughout the rest of the video you get to see actually his his workspace you get to see the cafe that mm-hmm. he has so this is all in italy by the way and you get to really see where he lives his life, where he spends his time, the workspace, you were mentioning this earlier, but how he's never repainted anything mm-hmm. throughout um, his his time in the workspace. And just having that, the imperfections there remind mm. you of collections past or work past or things yeah. that you've done in the past. Yeah, he even talks about like on the tables and stuff, there's, uh, uh, there's like leftover tape from him like taping, you know, different things together. And it's just like, yeah, it's just a reminder of 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 the past and kind of his journey. And now we're at the skull. Four minutes and 46 seconds. There is a plinth with a skull atop it next to a really beautiful light. Mm-hmm. Uh, stunning piece of artwork. And cool. all of its art. Even the skull is art. It is. It really is. And yeah. it's, it's that subtle reminder that, hey, man, I'm, that's where I'm going to be eventually. All yeah. of this is for naught because that is where I... And even... The idea of leaving a legacy is nonsense on a long enough timeline. Like, yes, I'm sure people will remember me and they'll tune into my work after I'm gone. But then eventually they won't. Mm. All of us will be forgotten on a long enough timeline. (laughs) (laughs) Theemominimalist.com. We'll put a link to this video in the show notes so you can see the entire thing. His cafe, his workspace, his skull, his gym, his bedroom, his army blankets, etc. It's 12 minutes and it's worth every single second. And I'll tell you, I was thinking about how I watched um, the tour of The One, which is the, it's a $500 million mansion. It's the most expensive house ever built. Definitely not minimalist architecture. Definitely not minimalist architecture. Well, I mean, there's some like lines and stuff that they, like some sparsity. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's rather ostentatious. 
it is ostentatious, but it's like it's like a minimalistic ostentatiousness. Uh-huh. What I'm getting at is is that those it's like a two parter. I think it's an hour long total. Uh-huh. Um, not worth not well spent watching that. <laughs> uh, this Brick Owens twelve minute video. I I would recommend this twelve minute video before I would recommend like going out and checking out something like that. Which that's like a train wreck. Like you just want to like you just want to look at it to see how ostentatious it is. Um, I remember when I, when I went to go look at it, it was for all the wrong reasons. We'll put a link to that in the private podcast show notes. Uh, this video as well is from Vogue. I'm surprised it only has a million views. It's called Inside Designer Rick Owens Minimalist Home Filled with Wonderful Objects. Our TEDx talk has more views than this. It's <laughs> <That's> wild. It's <laughs> crazy. Both of them. Oh, yeah. And uh, a few books that we've already talked about today, Ryan. I'll move this away to get that out of the shot. All right. So I talked to you about the Mies van der Rohe book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talked about the Ames book. We'll put links to both of these in the show notes. Before we get to your questions, I'll just hold them both up here. Ames book, Mies van der Rohe book, if you want to check those out. Links to those in the show notes. And then this one as well. The 150 best minimalist house ideas. And cool. this one is just filled with, I mean, stunning, stunning architecture. If you want beautiful pictures and you're not looking at a glowing screen, mm. this book you see the cover here with that Japanese Zen, but it has yeah. a lot of Scandinavian, a mm. lot of German, a lot of American, a lot of Spanish influence in there as yeah. well. Check that out. 100, 150 best minimalist house designs. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Malabama, let's get to some of these questions. Oh, yeah. We got questions, don't we? We already answered <laughs> Jessica's oh, question. Yeah. That was the answer to question one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have at least three more questions. It means three more hours. That's right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Did you hear Danny let out that sigh? Uh, you'll like it and shut up, Danny. <laughs> I do feel bad TikTok for... TikTok that. <laughs> I feel bad for Danny because you can't see the screen of everything we were looking at oh, right now. Right. So yeah, it's just, just us describing it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's yeah, well, great. you did have you do have access to the production notes, so you can go take a look at those articles yeah. as well. Everything we've mentioned today are in the, the show notes. Thanks to Podcast Sean, who is somewhere on a motorcycle <laughs> in Idaho right now. I'd love him. <laughs> All right, um, we talked about Jessica. We talked to Holly. Mm-hmm. Let's talk to Matthew. Could you speak about the concept of forever homes or pieces that will last forever? I may be speaking more to myself or my experience, but it feels like forever home is a phrase that gets used a lot, but rarely is it a home. Oh, sorry. Let me go back a little bit. Let me do it. Okay. Could you speak about the concept of forever homes or pieces that will last forever? I may be speaking more to myself or my experience, but it feels like forever home is a phrase that gets used a lot, but rarely is a home going to be a place that you spend the rest of your life. Yeah, dude. I mean, forever is such... It's like perfect. Mm. I mean, it's a very... Um, it's an aspiring word. Nothing wrong with using aspiring words. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the things that you and I talk about, man, is like the willingness to let go. Yes. So if I had something... Like, let's say I had a forever couch. Yeah. And, and now I'm clinging to it. Now yeah. I'm tying myself to it. Right. So, uh, again, there's nothing wrong with it. But when we use, you know... Super, superlatives like this. Am I using that superlative word right? Well, I, I don't know that. I mean, yes, like forever be- and perfect best and, would be a superlative. Yeah. Sure. So, so when we're using words like this, there's nothing wrong with it. We just have to be careful about you know what we're clinging to. 
And, and so maybe the way to think about it is shifting from forever to timeless. Yeah. Would I be willing to spend the rest of my life here? Right. Great. Would I be willing to sit on this couch for the rest of my life? Great. Right. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And we can also be honest with ourselves. Sometimes I just need this bed for this season. I'm going to buy a cheap mattress. That's mm-hmm. all I can afford right now. Yeah. That's not a problem, right? Right. And eventually, maybe I'll buy the mattress that is my forever mattress. Mm-hmm. But even then, if something happens to it, I'm not going to cling to it. Right. Uh, I'm, it may not be the most appropriate for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. It may just be something I need right now. Yeah. But as Ryan just said, it's aspirational. Mm-hmm. And I'm aspiring to hold on to things that serve a purpose, that are useful or beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I'm also aspiring to let go if they stop being useful or beautiful to me. Because if I hold on Mm -hmm. and they're no longer useful, then I'm holding on to clutter. Yeah. I'm torturing myself for my past decision. Mm -hmm. And because something didn't work in the past doesn't mean that it won't work going forward. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't, then that willingness to let go means walking away from your forever home. So Bex and I, for example, found our forever home. Yeah. But we're not going to cling to it. Yeah. Because if circumstances change and we decide, oh, we don't want to live there in that neighborhood, that city, whatever, mm-hmm. then we're going to be willing to let it go. Yeah. But right now, weighing all the circumstances, yeah, we may end up there for the rest of our lives. Right, which is awesome. Which is awesome. And yeah. life might be awesome if we don't end up there for the rest of our lives. Yeah, We're willing to bifurcate paths. And so yeah, the truth is, Matthew is spot on. He says, it's a phrase that gets used a lot, but rarely is a home going to be a place you spend the rest of your life. Yeah, That is only true until recently. Mm. I mean, I think of the neighbors on both sides of me at our new house. They've both been in their homes for more than 30 years. Mm. They found their forever homes 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. And wonderful for them. Now, they could move tomorrow, too, if they want to. Mm-hmm. Because eventually, it's not going to be a forever home because my skull is going to be on Ryan's mantle. Mm-hmm. One day. But it could be in that home. I can't wait. So I'm going to have conversations with you randomly. <laughs> Talk to your ghost. <laughs> <laughs> So if I do leave you the home in my will, then you have to put my skull in that home and it will be my forever home, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll bury it like in the yard somewhere. And yeah, <laughs> it'll be what, forever. What about Eileen's question? When does minimalist architecture become brutalist and how does that affect how we interact with public spaces? I think we, we covered this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Something is brutalist, which I'm a big fan of brutalist architecture, yeah, right? beauty in it. As a canvas. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Speaking of the prison cells, have you seen the, uh, I forget what Scandinavian country, I think it's Denmark, but like the prison cells that they have, the most minimalist, brutalist, gorgeous prison cell I've ever seen in my life. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I don't doubt it because there's intentionality behind it, right? Right. Also, uh, prisons in in Scandinavia often focus on rehabilitating people rather than punitive punishment for plants that grow in the woods. Yeah. And uh, and so our prison system is is a punitive prison system in the United States. You know, our population makes up four percent of the world's population, but we have over twenty five percent of the incarcerated people here. It's insane, and it's not meant to rehabilitate. No, in fact, it is. Um, well, it's really unfortunate. That's a totally different discussion. It we'll is, have yeah. a That's a different, at a different podcast. Day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and therefore, the architecture is not meant to make you flourish either. No, no. it's depressive. Yes, we got a question here. Actually, let's do one more. Um, actually, I've got something here at the bottom. 
Uh, I just wrote this down myself. So a uh, few people asked this question last time I talked about not having internet at home. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I don't have internet at home. And people ask, well, how do you, <gasps> what do you do? <laughs> like, what do you mean? What do you mean on the internet? Yeah, but you like have a phone at home, right? And it's like, well, not really, actually. Our, where we live doesn't get great service, especially mm. in the home. Yeah. There are certain parts of the house that get one bar. So you could get really horrible service if you're like, you know, standing on one leg and your head's popped out the window and you're rubbing your tummy and patting your head at the same time. <laughs> right. You'll get one bar of signal. And so several people ask me, what do you do now that you don't have home internet? Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm opposed to home internet. The problem is, as David Foster Wallace said, if I can get out, they can get in. Now, this isn't conspiracy theory, like, oh, they're going to watch me. <laughs> no, it means like if I have the ability to get out and access all the news and the mm-hmm. panic and the social media 24 hours a day, seven days a week, mm-hmm. then they also have access to my thoughts. Yes. In the sense that like they can, it's mind control. <laughs> in a roundabout way, it is because... Yeah. What I'm really saying here is I don't want everyone else's emergency dictating my day. Everyone else's panic, everyone else's urgent task or urgent need dictating how I spend my day. Mm -hmm. So there are a few things that I do when I'm bored. Mm -hmm. That's what someone asked. Mm -hmm. You don't have internet at home. So what do you do when you're bored? Mm -hmm. Well, the three big things I like to do every morning is read, write, and exercise. Yeah. And it's simple body weight exercises. We still have that on, on the website. I still do the same exercises every day. Yeah. 18 minutes of push-ups, pull-ups, and squats. Mm-hmm. I even throw a few weights in there occasionally. I have uh, some adjustable weights that I have. Mm-hmm. But 18 minutes a day. Why 18 minutes? Well, because it takes about 18 minutes to get exhausted. Mm. But also, everyone has 18 minutes in a day. So no one has an excuse anymore. Yeah, You can find 18 minutes somewhere at some point during the day. I prefer to do it in the morning. But I actually enjoy these exercises now because I'm not forcing myself to go to the gym and put on the right fitness equipment and uh, make sure I use the right routine and the app and all these other things. No, it's push-ups, pull-ups, squats, repeat. Pretty simple. Yeah. I uh, read every day. Yeah. Fiction, nonfiction, doesn't really matter. But now that I don't have all of the glowing screens to interrupt me all the time, I rediscovered books. And they're awesome. And it could even be picture books. I could still look at pictures. The mm. 150 best minimalist house ideas. I could read this. That That's reading. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love reading novels. You know, the Dave Eggers novel I, I talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast, The Every, mm. or Jonathan Franzen you know, wrote the uh, book called Crossroads, which mm. is my favorite novel maybe ever, right? Mm. Uh, anything by David Foster Wallace. So I have a, a curated book collection, but mm-hmm. I also read on a Kindle as well, mm-hmm. which is a glowing screen, but it's not one that can constantly distract me right? because I don't have Instagram on it. Yeah. Uh, what else do I do here? Um, I write mm-hmm. almost every day. Yeah. And I talk to my writing students over at howtowritebetter.org how to write every day. And because it becomes a priority. I eat food every day. Yeah. I also write every day. I exercise every day. I read every day. These things are a priority for me. Mm -hmm. Sex, not Mm -hmm. something I do every day, Mm -hmm. but without all the glowing screens and the internet interruptions, (laughs) there is more sex. I'm sure there there is. And then sometimes I just sit quietly without stimuli. Get out of here. Unbelievable. It's, yeah. 
Go ahead. One of my favorite quotes is from Pascal. He yeah. said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. It's interesting because there's a balance with all of this. Like, the, uh, too much stimuli will, um, will, will stress you out. Mm-hmm. Not enough stimuli, you, uh, you get cabin fever. I was watching this study on, it was Mythbusters, it's a very scientific show. <laughs> they were doing studies on uh, cabin fever. And essentially, they, you know, put these men in uh, separate rooms and like did some experiments to see how they did. And uh, they all had to have some sort of stimuli. And and basically, the, they were positing that, yes, cabin fever is a real thing. But the stimuli was very simple. It wasn't like... Um, That's the key. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't TVs. It wasn't glowing screens. It wasn't like game. It was. It was uh, either like looking out to a picturesque, you know, scenery, mm-hmm. or um, one of the guys uh, like took a coat hanger and like, you know, cut it up and made some kind of mechanical thing out of it, you know, because that's that was his hobby essentially. Mm-hmm. So um, yes, we do need some stimuli, um, but uh, we don't we don't need as much as the typical household has. <laughs> I've noticed my daughter just out in the yard, Mm. sitting there watching the hummingbirds Mm -hmm. and hearing them. Like, she's become so sensitive to the... She can hear them and sense them almost. Mm. That is stimuli. Yeah. And what I've noticed, now that we have more access to nature, you know, we moved to this small town in Ventura County, only about 8,000 people, Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of access to nature. We can still make it to the city if we need to be, but we're withdrawn enough that the stimuli is more subtle. Yeah. And I've noticed my daughter's, uh, her, her nervous system has regulated, self-regulated. My mm. wife's nervous system has self-regulated. Mine is beginning to regulate as mm. well. As, yes, there is stimuli. It's not being locked in a padded room with a straitjacket on. Right. But it's removing 99% of the stimuli. This mm. is what minimalism does, whether it's minimalist architecture or it is minimalist lifestyle, minimalist literature. It's removing the excess stimuli mm-hmm. so we can focus on what is essential. Patrons, thank you so much for being here today. Heck yeah. We really appreciate you. We love you. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. We'll see you later. Every little thing you think that you need every little thing you think that you need every little thing that's just feeding your greed oh i bet that you'd be fine without it